Okay, Les Petru is the managing director and international sales director of the National Book Network, uh, based in Toronto. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you, Nigel. Glad to be here. We're at the uh, Book Expo Canada in uh, Toronto, and perhaps you could uh, let our listeners know exactly what it is you do at a Book Expo. Basically, it's the time of year where we introduce all our fall titles, and so everybody has a booth. Let's just wait for him. (laughs) The National Book Network is a distribution warehousing operation? Yes, that's a good way to start. We... There's publishers that you'll see, the big companies like Random House, Penguin, McGraw-Hill. These are big companies owned by shareholders, investment banks, whatever, and they've been around a long time. A lot of people uh, get published with those companies. However, there's also a lot of room for independent publishing, and a lot of times independent publishers who want to call on the big accounts, the chains like Barnes & Noble and Borders and Chapters Indigo, it's best for them to join distributors who represent dozens, if not hundreds sometimes, publishers and put them all under one roof. And so this way, it's a lot easier for them to be with a whole group of other similar kind of publishers. doesn't matter if they publish different genres and stuff, but these big chains in this day and age of consolidation mm. would prefer to see one distributor with 100 publishers than 100 individual publishers knocking on their door and our company was born, formed over 20, 22 years ago. Uh, we're the subsidiary of a parent company. It's called Roman and Littlefield, which is uh, an academic, scholarly publisher that has been around for almost 30, 40 years. But this became a good vehicle for us to sell a lot of our own company's books that were more trade appeal and then collecting more clients. And we've probably the second or third largest book distribution company in North America now. Perhaps you could clarify then, you say uh, publishing our, uh, by our own company. Do you? Well, our Roman and Littlefield has around eight or ten imprints, and we have books for academic scholars, that student textbooks, monographs, reference books that you'll see in libraries and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the two or three companies that we have, such as Ivan R.D., a Chicago-based publisher that does a lot of great high-end eclectic books, Taylor Trade that does books on astrology, cooking. Those are the books that are not academic, and then it was a lot easier for us to have our trade books, as we call them, mm-hmm. go through our trade book distribution company. And every season we have anywhere from six to 800 new titles, ranging from architecture all the way to women's studies. Okay. But you also then represent a whole variety of Independent, Correct. Publishers who do their own thing. Yeah, and one of the things to understand, some distributors just might want to have their books parked in their warehouse and they go out and sell the books. Uh, Our company is more of a collaborative association with the publishers. Mm -hmm. So we have four or five people who are assigned to a dozen or so publishers and we help develop their product with them. So we, myself included, I will go and meet with my publisher here in Toronto. We'll review the cover design, the marketing strategies, all the pre-publication stuff. Printing, to help them help printing as well? Well, those publishers will find their own printing, yeah. but, you know, I can sometimes advise them on that. So we take great pride in helping our publishers grow because mm-hmm. then we benefit by growing with them as well. 
And so, in other words, then you were saving them the costs of having a sales force that would would call on all of these uh, retail outlets. Well, no, we still day. have a strong sales force. We have uh, no, no, but the, the, these independent publishers, they yes. they you, they rely they would, on you. That's right. We they inherit our sales team, okay. which are maybe ten, twelve house reps that we have one dedicated person at Borders, we have another one just at Barnes & Noble, one at Amazon, uh, then we have some house reps that call on the airport stores and grocery store chains, wholesalers, and then we supplement that with uh, 25 other independent commission rep groups who go and find the smallest stores in, you know, mm-hmm. in every state and in, in province in Canada. Now, let's say I'm an independent publisher and I've got a title that I'm very excited about. It goes in with, I don't know how many other publications and how many other publishers that you represent. I want to make sure that my book is up front in your catalog and I want to make sure that you're promoting it the way that I would promote it. Right. And yet I've got all these other publishers and books to compete with within your catalog. How do you answer that concern? Well, Nigel, you'd probably have that same issue if you were being published by Random House or Penguin and St. Martin's Press. I don't know if you've seen some of those catalogs. They're just as big as a small telephone directory, yes, right? True, yeah. So and they're uh, absolutely beautiful, too, I must say, these catalogs. Well, everybody, we're in full color now there, yeah, too. So I, I don't think one has to really worry that much about... We work with each publisher, too. They have the choice of being in a full page or two pages. They pay a certain. They pay a certain fee for per page, and uh, but it's all a matter of positioning. In terms of, you're right. If a book that needs to be more important, you should give it a full page, and buyers, when they see that kind of stuff, know that you're doing it. We find that, like everywhere else, there's so many books published. I think what over hundred thousand books a year. It's crazy. And nevertheless, to get through all the noise, publishers themselves will be hiring publicists as well. And that's half the battle right now. Our job is to get the sales positioning in the books in front of the buyers to get the orders. But again, like I said, in our collaborative approach, uh, let's say you were writing a book on writing, uh, understanding a biography, which we just talked about. We would look at your your book, the tip sheets, the the things that are really different from other books in this thing. And then we go around the table at our company and and the boarders rep will say, oh, that book, I think we can move maybe 2,000 copies of Barnes & Noble, another 1,000 here. Myself included in Canada put me down for a few hundred. So we roll all this up and help the publisher understand that the book that you have, based on our experience, and a lot of us have got 20, 30 years and more in this business, we'll probably get back orders of 12,500 copies. Let's print 15,000. And that way it helps you understand what the print run should be. It's very understood. Then the buyers are taking a good position. And, and a lot of this we find we're pretty, like, 90, 95% accurate. Yeah, because the returns, of course, are a big The returns issue. are still always up around 20 or 30%. Yeah. But uh, we are very cautious because everybody wants to manage their cash flow and they want to publish other books. And we take great pride in having this expertise shared with them. And it keeps us at the forefront. Again, though, what about uh, my book? My, uh, I'm a little publisher, yes, and uh, I've got a book. My choice is, well, I try and bang on the doors of all these big bookstores, and they'll just laugh at me, I suppose. Do they actually listen or, or not? Would Borders take my call if I say I'm Joe Blow with with a three titles that, uh, but they're really good titles and blah, blah. Well, we advise most enthusiastic authors and publishers like yourself that basically it's not the best idea because if you do that, it's the old thing like 
being back in high school, if I make do this for you, everybody in the classroom will have to do that. So that's what borders would say. Well, no, I think every publisher and distributor would tell you as well, because you you don't want to be going right and knocking on the door of the actual buyer. You want to have your presentation prepared by professional people like ourselves. So as you saw at our booth, we have sales kits where it has an author, author bio. We'll have a sheet about the endorsements and reviews that you might have already been getting from your but I, could, I could do that myself, though. I could do that myself. You could, but, uh, you know... If but you, would, will they take my call or, or not? You know, I, I would be honest with you, they, they might. Uh, I don't see that happening very often. Uh, I think most authors are more shy. They, that's why yeah. they've got publishers. But I'm, ta I'm talking about a small publishing firm. That yeah. you, like, you represent small publishing firms. You yeah. don't necessarily represent authors directly, do you? Well, we meet a lot of these authors through the publishers. They yeah. show up to our sales conferences. A lot of times, uh, you know, we've had many authors show up with their publishers to get a little bit better understanding okay. of the books. Yeah. And that gets a lot of excitement and stuff. Yeah. And I think you touch on a very important thing, that what we as our role in advising, getting a book prepared, getting the orders and stuff, and like I told you, getting it right down to the print run and stuff like that. Yeah. Then the second part of the biggest job in publishing, where a lot of times this would make the cause of the greatest failures, is, is the lack of publicity and promotion. Right now, with all the books that are being published, one needs to hear them either through radio interviews, TV interviews. So in that little sales kit, where we've just now put a wonderful picture of Nigel Beale and you know, the endorsements and pre-publication reviews and given the synopsis of the book, why people should be buying this. Now we know Nigel's going on a 20-city radio TV tour and will be hopefully signing and... But going who, to who, who organizes that? The publisher. The publisher lets us know. Right. And then as the distributor and the end sales staff, we go in and then we say that Nigel's book, which will be available in October, he'll be in New York... He'll be, uh, you know, being interviewed on this show. The more national kind of shows you can get, the more appealing that is always. Uh, we sometimes see incredible uh, spikes in sales that we can monitor both through the retail level and in online retailers. Mm -hmm. So it's very important. And I think one of the most important things, Nigel, and you've probably been talking with a lot of authors and publishers, I know, tell me your background, is how powerful the web is right now and the more people who have blogs and are, are connected with other people of those similar interests, be it a mystery novel or a book on quilting, it, it's amazing the reach that now we see in, in my role as an international sales director going to, to Scotland and Australia mm -hmm. and finding out before I get there that you know they've already heard a lot about this before I've been there. Mm -hmm. So in the equation of being successful, it's not just you know getting that attention of that buyer at the big chain or the small independent bookstore. It's for you to show that, hey, you got the attention of this TV studio that you were interviewed on Fox TV for mm -hmm. five minutes. And it's that's a grassroots thing. It's exactly. Trying to get the readers interested. So exactly. they put pressure on the, mm -hmm. on the, the retailer to yep. make sure they've got yep. copies of the thing. Exactly. Yeah, so, so I mean, wronged. exactly. Yeah. And so we advise every publisher and every author the more material you can tell us about what you're planning to do about promoting this book, because we can't promote all those 800 new books in the fall season. We can sell them, but those, it's of the obligation of the publisher. Uh, same way that somebody was working at Random House, they might be the marketing manager for that one section of travel books. Yeah. They're the ones then that you've seen, wow, why, why are those windows and posters all up there? Because 
that person over there did something like that, but at the same time, as an independent distributor, wow, how did they get on that TV show or this and that? That was good hard work by the publisher and the publicist that they have or hired. I'm speaking with uh, Les Petru, who is the managing director of the National Book Network and in charge of international sales. I want to keep pushing on this particular question because, again, I think this would be utmost in my mind if I was to wanted to use your distribution um, packaging uh, services. And again, that is, you've got so many titles, you've got a whole range of different uh, published, small publishing companies. How do you ensure, uh, convince me that you're going to do as much as I might do for my title as you can? I think one of the best things is we're always asking publishers who either think of joining us or have been with us, to talk to the other publishers who are in our stable. As we speak right now upstairs, <laughs> we have an author who, the same thing, 18 months ago, a book uh, called The Eat Clean Diet, and uh, by a Canadian publisher here, Robert Kennedy Publishing. He is the owner of six magazines, Muscle Magazine International, which he started 30 years ago, and other lifestyle magazines such as Oxygen and um, Maximum Reps, all you know, with health, dieting, and nutrition. Here's a great example of a, a company where, yes, wow, we need another diet book, don't we? Well, there's been the Dr. Atkins, the South Beach Giant. Well, these people worked very hard with us, and I was helping them out when we first looked at the product. Wow, for color, support in some of their magazines they would do advertising. They were still a little bit of tentativeness a year and a half ago. We got 15, 20,000 copies out, but all of a sudden things started to click that reach of their magazines, their website they built, their the blogs. So that pulled our book to number six in Toronto, in Canada, on the national bestseller list. Uh, we haven't looked back. We've now sold hundreds of thousands of copies with this publisher in the last year and a half. She's now signing her fourth book upstairs. It's a success story where, as a partnership, us as a distributor, advising them to kind of well, go into this campaign, like, you know, at this is a book that... What does that mean, go into this campaign? Uh, well, let's say there's a promotion going into a grocery store chain or a shop, you know, a, a drugstore market or... Like when you time. go... Or else if you're going into a, a, a store, like at the chain level, and you see all the books on the table, and there are the new books for, for mystery that month, well, there's co-op advertising being paid for that. So placement, which basically... You would be aware of yeah. these co-op advertising Absolutely. deals that yeah. you could then bring to your publisher and exactly. say, look, here, here's what's going on at Borders on yeah. in September and in... That's right. Chapter. Well, in January, everybody has had a great time at Christmas. We, that's the best time to sell you know, health exactly. books. Yeah. We say, well, let's go for the tables. They agreed. We had terrific sell-through. We supported it with media. She was on... TV. We supported by media, meaning... Sorry, I, sometimes the publisher and the distributor, we're working so well to kind of plan all this stuff together. I'm using the word we. But, but don't forget, a lot of the publishers that who want to then get this more aggressive sales activity, they're supporting it with their, you know, cost of the campaigns I mentioned. However, there's a lot of other books that are very esoteric. Uh, we have, like, books from terrific publishers like Snow Line Publications, on Tibetan Buddhism that, you know, intermediate advanced stuff by Rin Pache from the 14th century that, uh, I <laughs> mean, you're right, though, sorry to interrupt, but the Internet yeah. is so well suited to these kind of very niche Absolutely, and, and, and see, that's the beauty of our publishing company. We do have some books that take off and make national bestseller lists. 
However, we have a lot of people who just are publishing to that community of quilters or Buddhists that we have. We have three or four terrific publishers now in that category. Just Dharma joined us from California. And it's delightful to know that well, these are the kind of books that you don't need to see stacked up on the floor when you go into the stores or Costco and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But we know that they're going to get their proper placement, and they're happy with their two or three thousand copies sold for the whole year, and uh, that's 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 fine. Keeps and you know what? They're also ideally suited for independent booksellers. Exactly, because you don't cut the price. You don't, you know, the indi- the big. Uh, well, Tesco in England, but uh, Walmart and yes. Costco, and they don't want to carry the, that book. They want to carry the That's right. blockbuster where they can leverage the, the biggest discount for their for themselves. Oh, absolutely. And so these kinds of titles, they're never going to go on sale. So yeah. they're they're perfect for independent booksellers. And you know what? Our list, and when I say 800 new books, and in, in, in a category we might have like 72 new new age books. I mean, a lot of times, you know, I know I can't sell all those 72 titles into a big chain. Mm. There's, you know, the big names you might recognize, the nice categories on on paranormal and stuff like that. However, I'll give you an example. At the New Age Bookshop, I was up here, and I was still doing the calling because I like going right to the independents, and they hand sell. They they really support our stuff, so I still keep a half a dozen key accounts. Mm. I had this whole book on angels, and I said, well to the buyer at the time I said well where, where are you going to put the, the angel books here you know because in the catalog it just says new age and stuff like that yeah. he says oh we have a full angel section here he <laughs> showed me the, the shelves yeah. three rows of angels and stuff like that yeah. and you can't see that kind of exposure in a big well, national book but as I said these independent stores that I love like Banyan Books in Vancouver and other they welcome our list and that's where our publishers are delighted to see two copies of that three of that or one of that book and it works that's funny that just reminds me of uh, an incident at Foils in London oh great shot and a huge range I took a photograph of it it was uh, it was a section for concrete <laughs> that's what it was and it had I don't know how many books in it oh well wow. it's just uh, and, and maybe you can answer this question when chapters and indigos were merged my understanding was there were some 300 350,000 titles that you could find in, a, in typically in the store now that number is down to about 100,000 is that I don't think we ever reached that high level no. of 300,000 titles I, I've always the big superstores even like Barnes and Open Borders the ones that have 50, 60,000 square feet I thought capacity wise they could have 120,000 maybe 150,000 at the most mm-hmm. uh, everybody at that craze when Amazon and Chapters Online and everybody uh, wanted to be competitive to say we have 2 million titles in stock and stuff like that and they all very, you know, and with just-in-time deliveries and stuff like that, working with wholesalers, mm. everybody as an online retail to be competitive wants to show availability. And you're, you're right. I mean, the perception was, I mean, here in Canada where we had little mall stores that stocked no more than six to 8,000 units, mm. and they cherry-picked just the best sellers, like we had the Dr. Atkins and Health and Rachel Ray and Cookbooks and you know, you go in there and you see Martha Stewart, the brand kind of author names, and then a few other things. The, the superstores were just terrific for distributors like us yeah. that were then opening up with lots of orders uh, for all the new stores. 
and uh, really helped a lot of our publishers, you know, get more breadth because, you know, the Canadian market with the, the small stores couldn't absorb all the titles that I have in my book bag, you know, close to 1,500 titles a year. Yeah. As I said, I'd like to review and clarify the role of a uh, distribution warehousing mm-hmm. packaging firm like your, your own. You would approach the smaller publishers and talk to them about the benefits of using your services to help sell the product mm-hmm. to the retailers and make the books available quickly and efficiently mm-hmm. to these retailers. One part of your business is selling to selling the, your services to the right. publisher and then the, the flip side is to sell their product to any retailer that you can Correct. Yeah. sell to. So does that adequately summarize what you do or there No, I think you're right. I mean, in terms of, like you saw up at our booth, we have a lot of publishers that have been, you know, like I said, Snowline, 25 years, you know, high prestigious Eastern Tibetan, Eastern religion Tibetan Buddhist publisher. Uh, and the beauty of that I find is that after all these years is that there's always new publishers coming. So a lot of people that were signing up are still in the concept stage. You know, a lot of people, be it audio publishers or new people wanting to do books on sports or whatever, uh, we're meeting them right at uh, day one Mm. and uh, helping them kind of get off the ground. And we're meeting people at the London Book Fair. So we have a dozen publishers from the UK and Europe. You know, we represent from Belgium and and, uh, into this Canadian market. Exactly. So the the Canadian operations here is... uh, part of the, the parent company, which is in based in Lanham, Maryland, and we have a 300,000-square-foot warehouse, and uh, we not only, like I said, have 100, over 120 client publishers within National Book Network, but then we also do distribution for the Antique Collectors Club, a prestigious, wonderful group of, again, another 100 publishers that have art books from uh, Italy and, and, and Australia and New Zealand and stuff like that, all finding their niches. And I think a lot of people appreciate seeing like some of the, if, if they know we're going out there with a lot of good architecture books uh, and they want to be publishing architecture, they want to jump on our bandwagon because they've been going to those bookshops and seeing that, hey, NBN has those books up on the shelves. So they're buying, yeah. buying into your relationship. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've got our reach, we've got our our agents in Australia so we can help out to, to get books into those accounts and, and and we actually air freight once a week that books sometimes get there quicker to Australia than you know mm-hmm. some places across the states and uh, mm-hmm. and we have an operation that calls over all Europe and and, and Ireland and, and the UK and we're very selective we, we know certain books won't fly like books on you know, snakes of Texas. Well, that's not going to be very good, but regionally it's great for southern Texas, but, mm-hmm. you know, certain other books that are in film studies or a philosophy or biographies on world leaders, I mean, you know, there's a great reach we have. Hmm. Perhaps we could uh, talk about the future. There was an interesting comment made by one of the CEOs of the Canadian division of the publisher this morning at a, at a function about bookstores being places where scanners exist, printers, and shredders, so that you would simply look at whatever title is of interest to you, pick your format, if it's audio or ebook or or paper, and uh, put your order in, and then they would push a button and whatever would come out as the content. 
uh, in your format of choice, and then shredding them if they don't sell them and getting a credit. Your role would still be pretty important because you've got, it's the relationships that's mm-hmm. the most important thing. But perhaps you could just uh, give us a, your take on uh, uh, where do you think the uh, book business is, is going to go. Well, that's a good question that everybody, I think, even when I started 30 years ago in this business as a college rep at McGraw-Hill selling fluid mechanics books. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I remember that. We had the leading fluid mechanics books out there, Streeter and Wiley, they were called. Everybody in every decade since then has always been guessing, you know, what's the next big thing that's going to take away my books here. I saw that happening, you know, even when the advent of the VCR, and you know, everybody was worried about TV and films, and then, wow, look at this little disc, the CD-ROM. I saw it at a medical book publisher's conference where the CD player was still $2,000, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now you can buy them for 99 bucks, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, then the internet, and then the downloading of this and that, and right now everybody is still speculating, you know, is this the, the way to go with e-books and stuff? Granted, yes, there's a lot of things changing in our marketplace right now with the iPod and, you know, your capability of having this interview go onto your website and others to download. I mean, that's that's terrific. And, and giving you that example of an iPod, there's a, a publisher rep upstairs who has a jazz collection of, I think, like over 2,000 CDs, you know. And I asked David, I said, well, surely you've put them all onto your iPod. And he says, no, I still play like on my CD player even when I fly down to Australia. And I think one thing people always tend to forget is that these little things that either be the CDs that you don't want to give away, granted we might want to get rid of those eight tracks that we had, a lot of these things become a part of you and become your character. I mean, who's going to walk into somebody's house with a beautiful den and say, oh, that's a great e-book collection you've got up there and stuff like that, and it's what, going to be one little disc or something like that that you're going to show to your people? No, people have that great love of holding and feeling the books and becoming identified with them, be it mystery writers that they collect or other art books or cookbooks. I mean, I've been in homes where people have, you know, 20 years of cookbooks all scattered around their kitchen. And uh, they could just as easily be printing off those recipes off the foodnetworks.com. I I think we're still going to be seeing a book that's been around 500 years. I think you're still going to be seeing it over the next 50 years for sure. Granted, it's going to come and morph itself in different formats. It's still not going to affect the way you do No, no. I think it will supplement and complement it. And a lot of us are now, you know, realizing, yeah, we, we can easily make e-books. I know in certain other marketplaces, the professional li- you know, lawyers and stuff with the page reviews, I mean, that's a big business model that, you know, they can make tons of money. How's and, that? Well, they can just, like, in having those big cases of books that you had in an office that cost thousands of dollars, you can just go to a portal and find that court case in 1923 and, and pay per view. But those are expensive kind of propositions here you know we have affordability with well, plus the other thing sorry you could you could I mean in terms of what you do you, you warehouse just think of the savings that can be had by minimizing the uh, storage requirement and also the actual physical transportation of the book well you bring a good point in fact we have print on demand services at our warehouse in Blue Ridge Summit as well as in Plymouth the UK and a lot of books that as you've seen here with, with Ingram and Lightning Store as well. We're, we're replicating that with our own capabilities. We've been partnered with our printers, not only to serve our academic publishing company, and there is a lot of savings to have that book zapped over there. They're putting it on a boat for three weeks to England, 
And that's where each publisher can identify with each marketplace what is best suited economically. They're happy at the end over there in the UK because then we don't have to tack on those extra surcharges that, you know, for the freight, which people always have to do, especially in Australia, where a lot of times it's 20% over the, the U.S. list price you see. You're right. Uh, that's interesting. But I, I think it's more going to be a supplemental kind of a supporting thing. It, I don't think it's going to be the thing to take over. You know, there's just too much passion here that everybody still wants to, to see the, pr the printed page, author included. There's the collectors, mm -hmm. myself, and I imagine maybe do you collect? Indeed, I do. What do you collect? Uh, I try to spot certain first printings, first editions in my travels. Like what? Do you have a favorite author or favorite kind of book? Oh, definitely. Well, I, I, I'll give you an example. In, in Melbourne, Australia, there's a David Gregory Roberts who did this book, Shantaram. I met one of the booksellers in Melbourne, and he said, here's an autographed copy by this neat guy who was thrown out of Australia and how he wrote a whole book about this and I, I just kind of put it in my suitcase showed it to my wife who's a publisher as well and next thing I know it was at St. Martin's Press well the next thing I'm reading a year ago now Johnny Depp has picked up the you know things and both my wife and I we were both in the publishing world my wife Kim MacArthur who publishes you know people like Mae Finchie and Ian Rankin so we've always been privileged to get a lot of advanced reading copies and one thing we even had was like you know we picked up the Da Vinci Code and so you know which was in the advanced reading stage so wow. we have a whole set of you know, autographed books that, just for fun, we've always enjoyed the opportunity of meeting people. And it's not that I was collecting, but yes, as you said, I'm collecting because I now have a few hundred of these nice kind of books. And what I thought I did was to look at Abe or Al Libris to see, well, what are some of these books worth now just for insurance purposes yes. or appraisal? Or, and you perhaps know. you can tell us what the, the advanced the, copy of the Da Vinci Code is worth. Oh, I, I don't know. I think it's a thousand bucks now okay. or something or more. It's, it's it, we passed it around. I mean, we're not in pristine shape. Okay, you know, it's not right. like a trading card. You it's know, condition, it's yeah. been open condition. But there were very few of that. But this David Gregory Roberts one, coincidentally, I just mentioned that one. Shantram. I looked at it. It's going for eight hundred, a thousand dollars, and because it was a limited print run of three thousand, and I got it as as a gift from a friendly wow. bookseller who I bought a bottle of wine for in Melbourne. So, wow. that, and I think that's where the passion of this yeah. the, about the book. I mean, you're, is your disc going to appreciate? Is your yeah. Hard drive going to appreciate. Yeah, I mean, there's the there's the hardcore collectors, and then there's the ta the people that in the tactile pleasure. You're suggesting that that collectors market is a certain number, but that just the pure pleasure of touching and exactly. seeing the design and the whatever beauty it may be involved, uh, that's never going to go away. Exactly. Yeah. And we encourage a lot of our publishers to kind of produce quality books, to have that first reaction, first impression, to say, wow, is it only $20? This book should be maybe worth 25 or 30 you know? Yeah. And I think that helps As a work of art. Exactly. In itself. Yeah. Yeah. Just in uh, finally, in closing, uh, when we first met, I asked you what you did, and you came up with a very quick answer. And I it was, did? Yeah, it was something. Well, I'll give you an example. When we first got National Book Network up here in Canada, and I actually worked with a publishing company, and I really enjoyed working in NBN in Canada because they had a lot of neat books, so they need to get understood. And my first book convention that I had was a book we had by uh, Mark Furman, Murder at Brentwood. Remember the, uh, the, cop. the cop who uh, thought O.J. was guilty. And it sold very well for us. But I'll never forget one bookseller who kind of was kicking the tires of my booth trying to figure out, well, who's National Book Network? Because the other established distributor, the publisher's group, West, has been 10 years older than us and a few others that you might know. This one bookseller looked up at my sign and said, 
are you a TV station or something? You know, National Book mm-hmm. Network. They thought I was, uh, you know, ABC with, oh, yeah, this yeah. and that. And I said, no, 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 we're a, a distributor. And uh, in a nutshell, we're, we're an independent company representing small, medium-sized publishers that, you know, do anywhere from 100,000 a year to a couple, three, four, five million a year in any given year or more sometimes we've had. And bandied all together, we usually up in the top 15 uh, suppliers of books to the biggest chains. That's your elevator pitch, then. I guess. We talked about the future, and you, you see the book maintaining its status as paper and ink. And I'm never surprised how many new publishers come on the scene every year. Not just authors, but new publishers. Everybody's more empowered, as you probably saw, doing their own little books. There's a real urge for people to publish. Well, the, and in fact, that's the question. Again, more why should I use your service? If I've written a novel, I can go to Trafford, which is another, mm-hmm. or I can go to even to Amazon directly, and they'll work with me to print it up and design it and put it on their website for sale, and then it's up to me to do the, do the marketing for it. But if I'm a small publisher, why would I go your route versus that route? Well, you might have your reasons to maybe pursue that, okay, and our reasons to kind of to change your mind, and again, we encourage people to talk to other publishers who have worked with us, is that we have a wealth of experience. The whole staff in the States and here in Canada have minimum 10, 20, 30 years publishing experience of people that I work with, and I, it's a joy to always be at their conventions and to get familiar with the new list. A lot of stuff which I just told you where, yes, you might be able to do that direction that you just suggested, However, would any of those people may have caught a lot of things that we might catch for you? But the right price point, the proper maybe subtitle on a cover and stuff like that. Pre-publication kind of even marketing buzz ideas that we're always advising them with the publicist to kind of seed the marketplace in a community and stuff. Not, not only like, like that, but we, we give a lot more full service. I think another good analogy is a lot of times I've said that it's like you know going to the gas station. We're the ones who still open the hood, check your oil, do your windshields and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and get you all filled up while you're in the car, as opposed to self-serve. And see, a lot of people are empowered with desktop publishing, and you can go and get your own book printed. But it's unfortunate how many times I've seen, even this week, people coming up with me in a book and said, "Well, you forgot this little." thing on the ISBN barcode here, you know, and stuff like that, where you need that extension here. You, you know, it's a 13-digit ISBN world now. We help people prevent all those mistakes, which okay. I think, uh, you know, makes us a little more special and, and publishers, you know, value and, and respect that. Finally, then, price point. Yes. Which is going to, to some extent, determine, you know, where the, the customer goes, the, the small publisher. So what's the difference, roughly? Like, well, do you take a percentage? Like, do you take part of the risk? Well, no, I mean, we're all service fee-driven in terms of for our warehousing collections, cataloging, selling, and stuff like any other distributor would be. However, in terms of price put at the consumer level, I always remember meeting an author years ago in financial planning. He always used to say, everybody's got a 20 in their wallet or purse, you know. Steve Riggio has always said, yeah, you know, keep books around $20. It's hard. Think of it with our currency exchange rate. We're now close to par, and a lot of our books are at par. Like I said earlier, if you can make that $20 book look and feel more like a $25 book, there's going to be a great intrinsic value and desirability on the purchaser to want that book. So make sure you get a good cover art. You know, make sure you know you're getting good paper, uh, nice typesetting, and stuff like that. But isn't and that the same pitch that Trafford, for example, would use? 
I'm not that familiar with all that they do. Maybe okay. you know you know a bit more about there, but I know that a lot of self-publishing companies are out there to, to advise and do this, the uh, universes and stuff like that. Yeah. But I, I really haven't investigated a lot of that stuff. However, I know there are certain requirements that a lot of chains and stuff like that do ask about is it you know self-published and it's the beauty is now there's a lot of production qualities are very good mm-hmm. I, I don't want to get into all those economics I'm just getting yeah. into my opinions on what I still think you know the great way of us counseling and advising people pays a lot of dividends down the road and welcome everybody to check with other publishers on how well we've done very good uh, I've been speaking with Les Petru, who is the Managing Director and International Sales Director of the National Book Network uh, here in Toronto. Thank you very much for your time. Nigel, I really enjoyed it, and uh, anytime. Okay. Look forward to talking to you again. I, I love the questions. You know your stuff. Thanks.